It is August 22nd, 2017, and you're listening to the Landscape Photography Podcast. As always, thank you guys so much for tuning in. This week, I'm going to be talking about my experience shooting the solar eclipse, as well as talking about some of the gear that I use, kind of a what's in Nick's bag type episode where we dive into some of the accessories and all the other fun stuff that I use. But before we get started, I wanted to let you know that I'm launching another tour this week. (laughs) I know it's kind of tour launching season, but I wanted to let you guys know that going live over on my website is my wildflowers and waterfalls tour. The last year, this was a huge success with everybody that participated. So we extended it by one day this year. We're going to be photographing some of the lesser known big, impressive waterfalls in Washington state, as well as fields of wildflowers with Mount Hood in the background and all kinds of really beautiful wildflower areas in the Columbia River Gorge area. So if you're interested in photographing wildflowers and waterfalls with me next year in the Pacific Northwest, you can go over to my website, nickpagephotography.com, and you can find out more there. I should mention that if you get registered before October, there's an early bird discount where you're going to get a hundred bucks off from that. So if you're interested in that, go over to my website and you can get signed up there. So having said that, let's jump into the episode where I talk about what's in my bag and kind of recap what it was like shooting the solar eclipse. So there was a ton of hype in the weeks leading up to the solar eclipse. So much, in fact, that a lot of local photographers were completely burnt out on the idea of going down and and spending any effort into photographing the totality of the solar eclipse. There was all kinds of traffic jams and natural disasters and, you know, just um, all kinds of problems that were predicted with all of these small towns being completely inundated with all of the people that were scheduled to arrive. So myself, I drove south to a little bit south of Baker City, Oregon, which is about a three-hour drive for me. And the drive down was actually traffic as usual. There was nothing different or special about the traffic traveling down there. Once we got into the path of totality, quite a few people... All of the little side roads had cars parked one after the other all over the place. There was just lots and lots of people. All of the rest areas were full of campers and people with like little shade tents set up and stuff. There was quite a few people, maybe not as much as I was led to believe that there was going to be. I found just kind of this little random dirt road and drove out it and kind of got away from the the crowds of people and because I wanted to experience what it was like when the eclipse happened. And I didn't want it to be spoiled by being around a whole bunch of people. The difference between totality and like 96% eclipse was actually really, really dramatic. It's amazing how dark it gets during that total eclipse, that total perfect eclipse. The stars came out, the crickets started chirping. Uh, in the in the moments before the total eclipse, like all of the birds and all of the bugs and stuff just kind of went to sleep. It was so, so strange. And there was this really cool shimmering, I guess, that would ha- happen where it almost 
and the shadows on the ground almost looked like they were like you were standing in an aquarium or something where everything was shimmering and moving such a really cool experience. And then when totality happened, I was able to look at it with my eye. Uh, everything that I had heard of was saying that I shouldn't do that. But during totality, it wasn't that bright. It wasn't that bad. And the coronal disc, the, the rays that were coming out around the edge of the sun were just so striking and strong and really, really cool. So I photographed this with my 5D Mark III, which is my backup camera body and my Sigma 150 to 600. The plan that I had where I was doing a portrait shoot that actually fell through. So, so I was just kind of on my own doing whatever I wanted. So I just focused on getting that nice tight shot. I was really shocked at just how dark it got. My uh, exposure times got pretty slow. I shot at ISO 100 F11 and then my shutter speeds were getting as slow as like a half a second or so. I was doing a five shot bracket at a stop and a half apart for each one. And then for my final shots, I ended up just using three of my bracketed shots to kind of extend that dynamic range because what I really loved about the total eclipse part of things was all of those rays and all of the different lines and waves and directions that those those rays were going in. It was very, very cool. So in my final shot, which will be posted in the show notes, I ended up going with just a um, three of my bracketed shots for dynamic range to recover some of the really bright highlights around the disk of the sun and then to extend out some of those rays so you can see you know the path that they take and, and to really bring those out. It was a very cool experience. I've seen so many really great shots of the Eclipse. A couple of my favorites, which I'll try to uh, post in the show notes, I'll see if I can get their permission, are from Andrew Struder and Michael Shane Bloom. They, they got the coolest shots ever. They basically had this rock climber climb this, this cliff face, and then they lined that up with the sun. So they have this mountain climber in the disc of the sun. Really amazing shots. I'll see if I can include those in the show notes as well. The experience was pretty cool. I, did, I actually forgot my solar filter, which really wasn't the biggest deal because the coolest shots happen around totality. And I was very much right about that. I don't, I'm not really interested in any of the shots before and after, unless you're doing some kind of composite where you're showing the entire progression of the eclipse. But uh, in my opinion, the money shot is really getting a nice tight shot of the sun, ideally with some kind of interesting foreground, but I didn't have that. So going down to the area where we photographed the eclipse, it was, the traffic was business as usual pretty much, but where things got crazy was when we left because, you know, people kind of trickled in through different parts of the day, maybe even a day before or whatever, but they all left at the same time. And so it was traffic jam for a solid two and a half, three hours. It, it would took forever to get out of there. Um, but it was totally worth it. I know there was a lot of people thinking that the solar eclipse was way overhyped and there was a lot of hype, but it was so worth it. A total solar eclipse is the most um, hair raising goosebump feeling weather event that I've ever really been in. It was just so incredibly surreal. It's really easy to see why solar eclipses were such an important part of like ancient cultures and stuff where, you know, it's time for human sacrifices and stuff like that, because it's just such a unique special event and there's just the, the whole time it's happening it makes you want to whisper because it feels very important somehow uh really cool experience and it was very much worth driving into the area of totality so if you have a chance to photograph it, a total solar eclipse you should definitely do it it's worth the effort 
just because it gets overhyped by media and social media. It's not this eclipse's fault because the eclipse is really, really amazing. Okay, so also in this episode, I wanted to kind of do a what's in Nick's bag type episode where I talk about the gear that I use, um, some of my favorite like little accessories and stuff that I always take with me. And then I also wanted to talk about some of the things that I've purchased over time that have not worked out so well and hopefully save you guys money as well as spend some money (laughs) when I talk about some of the gear that I like and love. So first of all, most of you guys already know I'm a Canon shooter. My main camera body is 5D Mark IV, which I just got word today is completely dead. Dropped it in a river and did not survive. I'm going to have to replace that. Uh, sad day. Uh, my main wide angle lens is the Canon 16 to 35 version 3 f 2.8. Absolutely love that lens. It's a big step up from the fi- from the Mark II version of it. I find that the Sunstar is better. It handles lens flare much better and it's sharper in the corners. I really, really love that lens. My other main landscape photography lens is the Canon L 70 to 300. That lens is a little bit long in the tooth. It's one of the older uh, Canon L lenses that it's been out for a while. Um, but I really love it because it's so compact. I also have a 70 to 200 version F 2.8, uh, Mark two. And while I love that lens and it's super, super sharp, uh, it's big and it's bulky and it's heavy. And this 70 to 300 not only gives me an extra 100 millimeters of reach, but it's much more compact, small and light. And that's really nice when you're hiking to locations. So I really like that lens as far as like my telephoto landscape lens. Oftentimes to fill that gap between 35 millimeters and 70 millimeters, I'll often take a, my Sigma art 50 millimeter. That thing is tack sharp. It's a razor sharp lens. I really like that lens. Um, it's kind of big and heavy and not necessarily the most, um, frugal lens as far as the weight ratio, but I don't really use a 24 to 70, which would fill that gap nicely when I'm worried that I might need a focal length between 35 and 70. I'll often take that lens, but more often than not, I just travel with a 16 to 35 and the 70 to 300. And if I do need something in that, you know, 50 millimeter range, I'll take my 70 to 300. I'll go into vertical orientation and then I'll shoot a panorama, which will effectively give me right around that 50 millimeter mark. And that fills the gap pretty well. I also have the Sigma 150 to 600 millimeter contemporary. I've been pretty happy with that lens. You know, there's, there's some things that I don't love about it. Sometimes the autofocus kind of acts up on me a little bit. Um, it's probably due to be serviced, but for the most part, I really like that lens. I don't do a ton of wildlife stuff, so I can't really justify a more expensive lens than that for wildlife because I just don't sell any wildlife prints or anything like that. So, um, you know, I kind of go with a fairly frugal wildlife lens, but I use the Sigma contemporary 150 to 600 been pretty happy with it. My main camera bag is the F stop Anja bag. I'm coming to that bag from a mind shift rotation 180 pro. And I liked that bag, except I did not like how long it took to get gear out of the bottom compartment, especially when you're not wearing the bag. Other than that, I loved the padding. I love the build quality. I like a lot of things about it, but the F stop just kind of matches my personal workflow better. Although I have ran into a few quality control issues with it. Um, in the time that I had the mind shift bag, which was probably a year, I had zero issues with it. 
but I've already had a couple little things with the f-stop bag where um, one of the straps is actually broke off. Um, I over tightened the one of the the tripod straps and I broke it off. Not a good thing. And I've also noticed that some of the Velcro on the sides, which is kind of designed to either expand or contract the side pockets. Um, some of the Velcro has started to come off. I haven't seen that happen to anybody else. So it could just be me. It could be just me being too hard on my equipment, but I have had those issues. Next up is my tripod. I use the really right stuff. Three, four L tripod. And I pair that with the Acrotech GP ball head, which I use the lever clamp uh, locking top on. I love, love, love my tripod. That thing is my baby. I've tried a bunch of different tripods and I've never found one that I like more or even close to it. Just the way that the leg locking mechanisms work, it's so smart for the height it is. It is fairly light. It goes taller than I am, which is very useful for when you're working on a slope and you need to put one leg downhill. Uh, having those extra long legs is really useful anytime that you're shooting on a slope or for those times when you need a really high perspective. So the ball head that I use is the Acrotech GP ball head. I love that ball head as well. It's, it's very light for the amount of weight that it holds. It has what's called an open ball design, which means that when you're looking at it, you can actually see the ball all the way around, which makes it really easy for cleaning afterwards. If you shoot around the ocean, you can just run it under a sink and wash all of that sea salt and sand out of there. And I pair that with the lever lock mechanism for the top. I've always loved that lever lock mechanism because it gives you an audible click and locks into place. The really right stuff ball heads, which are also known for their lever lock mechanism. There's no locking mechanism to keep that into place. You, you can just grab it with your pinky and pull it out. It doesn't actually lock. I've always loved the Acrotech lever lock mechanism until it dropped my 5D Mark IV into a river. And then suddenly I didn't love it quite so much. And the problem was that over time, the lever lock mechanism started to get a little scuffed up to where it wouldn't just slide and snap properly into place. I had to actually force it into place there towards the end. And that last time I forgot to force it into place, I took off walking with my camera uh, mounted to my tripod on my shoulder and it came undone and it fell into the river. Acrotech was very kind when I told them what happened. They sent me a completely new ball head, completely new clamp. They want to take a look at the old clamp and, and do some quality control and make sure that that never happens to anybody else. But I have to admit that it happened. I still love that ball head. I'm not going to hesitate towards using it, but I am going to keep an eye on that lever clamp to make sure that it doesn't start to malfunction again because it's a very expensive problem when it does malfunction. So some of my favorite accessories that I have for all my photo gear, first of all, is an L bracket. An L bracket is one of the most useful things for the landscape photographer. It's one of the best investments that you could make for sure. Most L brackets are going to be Arca Swiss compatible, which means that all you Manfrotto users out there, you're out of luck. I think there are a couple Manfrotto L brackets out there, but the majority are Arca Swiss compatible. My particular L bracket is made by really right stuff. It is more expensive than the typical Sunway photo or the more generic ones that you see out there. But what I like about it is the fact that it actually locks on to the camera strap loop on the side of your camera. That way, when you're in vertical orientation, 
it cannot rotate. It cannot slip at all. That's generally what you get into with some of the more affordable options out there is that they don't fit quite perfect. And there's always that just little bit of give that they have when you're in vertical orientation and the really right stuff version, at least for the Canon system, uh, takes that away. And I love, love that. It's made really well. And as much as you use an L bracket, I feel like it's a worthwhile investment. But the most important thing about L brackets is that you want to make sure that you get one that's actually molded and fitted for your camera. Stay away from all of the universal type L brackets out there. All that means is that it's not designed for any one camera and it's not actually molded to the bottom of your camera. Therefore, it's going to slip, it's going to slide, and it's going to annoy the crap out of you. So stay away from those. Only get the ones that are molded for your camera. If you do get one of the more affordable ones, just make sure that it's molded for your camera. For my telephoto lenses, I use the quick release plate that Breakthrough Photography has. It's a very simple thing. It's a very simple design, but basically they just put a little lip on the edge of one side of the L bracket. And when you put that on the tripod collar of a telephoto lens, that means that it's not going to slip and rotate. And that is a simple solution for a problem that I always have. Typically, when you have a quick release plate on the foot, on the tripod collar foot of your telephoto lens, they tend to rotate a little bit. Those lenses are heavy. And when you, if you pack it around on your shoulder, they're going to rotate. And this little breakthrough photography quick release plate totally gets rid of that problem. While we're talking about breakthrough photography, I do go through them for all of my filters. For the longest time, I was using Tiffin. I even had a, break, a B plus W filter. And, you know, I was kind of just testing the waters of all the different filter manufacturers out there until I found Breakthrough Photography. I find that the Breakthrough Photography filters are so color cast free and so much uh, just better in their design because they're, they're really thin filters. So you don't get as much vignetting. Plus, they put the traction on the outside. That way you don't get them stuck on your lenses. I'm really a huge fan of the Breakthrough Photography filters. So much, in fact, that a little transparency here, I reached out to them and I now have affiliate links for their stuff. So if you go to the show notes and you purchase a filter through the links that I provide there, I will get a 20% kickback on anything you buy there. So if you want to support me, you can do that. But 100% transparency, uh, those are going to be affiliate links. The only reason that I am an affiliate for them is because I love their filters. They really are the best. I will say, however, that I'm a much bigger fan of the X4 filters than the X2s or the, the lower quality ones. You get what you pay for and the X4s are made out of brass, which means that they're not going to expand and contract quite as much during extreme temperature changes. Therefore, they're not going to get stuck on your lens. So you're going to get a higher quality with those X4s. And that's what I use for my own kit. Other things that I absolutely love, I, use, I carry lots of microfiber lens cloths with me. I think the ones that I use are made by clean and clear. But really, you know, a lens cloth is a lens cloth. Just make sure that you're getting microfiber. Try not to get the really cheap chintzy ones that are very thin because you're going to find that when you use them in, if there's any kind of moisture on your lens, they're not going to be very absorbent. Uh, get the slightly more high quality ones and just have them like in every pocket of your camera bag because you can never have too many lens cloths. But I also carry a microfiber towel with me. Actually, a lot of times I take multiple. These are like a 12 inch by 24 inch microfiber towel. They're a little bit more coarse 
and more absorbent than a typical microfiber cloth. And for that reason, when it, uh, when I'm shooting around waterfalls or in the rain or whatnot, um, I can dry off my camera with this. I can also wipe my lens with it. Uh, a lot of times I'll just drape it over the top of my camera and protect all those buttons. Uh, because that's typically where you're going to run into problems in those really wet environments is that water seeping into your buttons. So the, the brand that I use, and it's not necessarily important to stick with this brand, but the brand that I use is Sunland and you can get all different sizes. They usually come in a two pack and I have like six of these. And when I go to Iceland, I take at least four because uh, when one becomes really soaking wet, I'll trade it out for a dry one. And it's really nice when you're shooting around water and waterfalls and rain and stuff like that. The next accessory that I use, maybe not love, but I use is the Pixel wireless remote. I used to use the ones that came from Velo. And while they worked just fine, the one thing that I didn't like about them is how odd the batteries were. That and when you changed out the battery in the remote part of the release, you had to actually have like a tiny little screwdriver to take it apart. There wasn't just an easy like slide out battery door for it. But the ones from Pixel, they take AAA batteries, which makes far more sense. You're going to have those with you. And there's it's not difficult to change out the batteries. The remote part of it is bigger than the Velo one, which I don't love. Uh, but other than that, I like it. It's cheap. It's got a really nice range. You can stand about 150 feet away and still be able to trigger your camera. And it's just way nicer than having a wired shutter release. Another thing that I use, I talk about all the time and I absolutely love, I'm not sure if I've ever actually talked about it on this particular podcast, but these are the NRS boundary sock with hydro cuff. Essentially all they are is a wetsuit that goes up to your knee and it seals at your knee. That way, if you're standing in water and it goes above your knee, your feet are going to still stay dry because they seal right there. These things keep your legs incredibly warm. When I go to Iceland or other really cold places, I can literally stand in frigidly cold water, water where ice is freezing all around me. It can be below zero and I can still stand in the water with these things because they keep your feet so dry. These things run like 90 bucks. And to me, they're one of the best investments a, a landscape photographer can make because so often when you're shooting in water, you have to get in the water to get the best composition. And if you're getting in the water and you have really cold feet, you're going to rush yourself. You're not going to take your time and you're not going to get as good a shot. But if you have something like this and you keep your feet totally warm, you're going to get a better shot. Another thing that's so great about these is that for the landscape photographer, they're very light. You, they're basically you know, just a big pair of like neoprene socks and you can stuff them inside your camera bag. And then a lot of times I will just take like a cheap pair of Velcro sandals and I'll strap those to the outside of my bag. And that's my water setup. There are no more like hip waders or giant muck boots, you know, giant muck boots. If the water goes over the top of them, you're still getting wet feet. If you have like waders, you know, if it comes over the top of your waders, you might die and they're big and heavy. So these things are the perfect solution for a landscape photographer. I'll put a link in the show notes for those as well. And little disclaimer that will also be an affiliate link because I love that product. I reached out to them and figured out how to get an affiliate link because I don't even know how many people have bought those because of my recommendation, because I love them and I rant and rave about them so much, but they are a really cool solution. If for any landscape photographer, this shoots around cold water. The last accessory that I have for you guys today is the three inch spike from Desmond. I'll put a link in the show notes for this as well. 
Basically, all they are is a spike for the feet of your tripod. Incredibly useful anytime that you're shooting around sand or mud or anything like that. When you're shooting on a beach or on sand, when waves come in and then they recede back, your tripod will typically like shake as it gets undermined by the, the water and the current. But if you have these spikes, when a wave comes in and then you push it down as the water recedes, the next wave that comes in, it's not going to budge your camera at all or your tripod at all. Your tripod's gonna be super solid and stable. Uh, these things are really cheap. They're like 35 bucks for the set and totally worth it. All right, that pretty much does it. Thank you guys so much for listening this week. Remember, if you're interested in any of my workshops, you can go over to nickpagephotography.com and get signed up there. I've also got tutorials available over there and there'll be more tutorials coming up uh, over on the website as well. With that, thank you guys so much and we'll see you in the next episode.